All right, guys, welcome back to the Kitchen Table Podcast. We are in Dale's garage on location again. Ryan and, uh, of course, Tony is not with us. He's doing battalion chief duties today, so yeah. we're not a threesome today. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get him back sometime. When you get that Wednesday Kelly. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> I'll help out quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, we uh, want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors real quick. Uh, 1-800-BOARD-UP, um, Flame Decon, uh, holiday season, still here. Use coupon code KTP15. Get that decon soap for your crew, for if you're listening and you got family in the on the job, get it for them. Uh, charge the Line Design, KTP code, or coupon code KTP15. And uh, Axe Head Threads, as always. Always axe head threads. I'm sporting some axe head thread stuff. You You are too. Um, uh, Tony, this one's for you again. Yeah. It's a Diet Coke, though. It's a Diet Coke. We're getting a little bit better. Yeah. We need to start recording in the evenings again so we can go straight to bed afterwards. Yeah. um, Yeah. I miss you, Tony. Uh, I know you're at work doing your battalion chief stuff, but um, you know, do you have any shout outs? No. That's nothing. No, I just did them. Me either. Awesome. Uh, thank you again to our sponsors. Um, our uh, host today, our guest uh, today, is uh, someone I've known for a long time. Uh, not saying we're old, but well, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I I do respect the message she says. I respect um, her fire service career. I respect everything she does, and I I truly uh, love the friendship. Um, I know that I could reach out anytime I needed to, um, and I, I think vice versa. Uh, I know she just reached out to me because she needed her window cocked because it was cold. <laughs> it's cold, so it's cold in this yeah. garage. Yeah, it today. is cold in this garage. So we need some more heat. Jeez, buy some um, t-shirts. Buy some t-shirts. Yes. Well, we need to print more t-shirts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so we have um, Doctor. Battalion Chief Candy Ashby, um, here. We're so glad that you uh, accepted the offer to come on. Uh, we've both Ryan and I, and I know Tony have sat in your classes before and had conversations offline, and and uh, love the message you're getting out there. And it's kind of, I've always been big on, uh, you know, the the firefighters. We need to invert that triangle that we talk about the who's leading and all that and. The, we always put the firefighters at the bottom and the chief or the board or the council is at the point and uh, we kind of invert that. So um, we are going to let uh, Candy give her uh, bio, uh, her introduction. We like to hear it from the guests themselves. So welcome aboard. Oh, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to, to come on Kitchen Table Podcast. I, I'm a huge fan of podcasts and listen to them. And I think there's a lot to be gleaned from that, so I really appreciate the opportunity. The first thing that I've got to say before I give my uh, bio is my opinions are mine and not of that of any of my employers, uh, so they're, they're personal-based. Now, I've been in a fire service. I started out as a cadet in 1986 at Greenwood uh, when I was 16 years old. So altogether, I've got 38 years in the fire service, and I start my 34th year career, actually this month, uh, nice. at the end of the month. Yeah. And I, uh, I have a lot of people ask me, 
at this stage, uh, now that I've actually maxed out my pension, uh, how much longer am I going to go? Uh, when am I going to retire? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, 33 years, I'm just now getting started. So I want another 33 years in the fire service. Um, now, my now biggest employer is going to uh, age me out at 70, but I have a plan to come back as a civilian, and right now I want to work till I'm 99. So I want to be the Betty White of the Hell fire yeah. service, nice. and Hell you yeah. guys read about me as they grab me by my ankles and, and pull me away from it at 99 years old. So yes. that's, that's where I'm at right now. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my uh, uh, background in the fire service. I'm currently a battalion chief at Indianapolis Fire Department. I, didn't, I was not raised IFD. I came in with a merger. So I started out at a small department uh, on the south side named Perry Township. Uh, thank gosh uh, it doesn't exist any longer. <laughs> and that we merged in with Indianapolis in 2009, I believe. And then I uh, uh, currently battalion one on the northwest side of the city. And I have uh, seven stations, 60 firefighters under my command. And uh, another uh, executive officer, it's a female. And uh, I call us the Split Tail Express of Indianapolis Fire Department. <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, yeah, yeah. We have we have a blast. We have fun. Uh, but she just scored really a pretty good spot on the Chiefs That's test. What so I heard. Uh, yeah, I may lose her here in the next year or two. Which um, is also pretty awesome. Oh, it is. That it you is. can That's see somebody grow in their fire service. Yeah, yeah. I keep losing all my XOs. So it, uh, <laughs> slowly but surely, I'm like, oh no, uh, maybe it's me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But no, she'll she'll make a really great chief uh, when she gets to that point. But I I literally pinch myself every single day. I cannot believe that I'm a battalion chief at uh, where I'm at, and um, so I don't take it for granted. I I really uh, very humbled and, and grateful to be given the opportunity, and I hope it lasts a long time. But it's anything in, in this business, we can be gone the next day. Um, and besides that, I run two businesses on my days off. Uh, one is a fire investigation business, which I've been investigating fires for about 30 years. And uh, on the private side, so we're uh, hired by insurance companies, law firms, self-insured. And then I also uh, president of Elite Public Safety Consulting, in which uh, is a nonprofit consulting group that we can go out and create positive change and make a difference in trying to change the culture of the fire service through leadership development training, which is leading me to what? I think I'm here for yeah. is a class that I designed um, a few years ago. I don't know, it's five to seven years ago. It's called Leadership from the Bottom Up, and it was originally designed for a uh, eight-hour officer development class. And I had it partitioned into four different areas, and I would do, I would change the stride every couple of hours from, you know, the purpose to the people to the performance. Um, and over time, it has been massaged and cut and all these things to where now it's like a couple hour motivational speech uh, and to anybody in the fire service no matter if it's a new recruit uh, up to a 40 plus year fire chief I usually has something that they take away from that class and I have morphed it into basically you know we really got to take a deeper dive in what our issues are in the fire service and and uh one of the messages is, is we are the problem, but we are also the solution to that problem. And it's getting people to understand that and to hear it and uh, try, to, try to change their mindset in the fire service. So that's so thank you. And I, I was in one of the original classes um, and enjoyed it. Um, a lot of tweaking and changes over the years that you've done to it. And uh, I do need to sit into it again. Uh, the problem I keep having is... Uh, gone around and taught it 
fire departments um, at conferences, and I always follow her. <laughs> I hate following Candy because she does such a great job, and then here I am, and I'm like, wow. She stole the selfie idea. I can't do that now. That's a specialty. No, <laughs> yeah. please do. But, you know, it, it's funny how that started, and and then I do the hell yeah at the end. And and uh, the first time my XO went with me, I was in Ohio, and the first time she had mm -hmm. saw uh, or you know witnessed a bottom up class, and I got toward the end. And I was telling everybody, I'm going to give you one minute to take selfies. And she's just over there with her head down and her hand over her eyes on what am I doing. And <laughs> she was embarrassed for me. Um, and then I said, go. And everybody in the room jumped up and started running around taking selfies. And she couldn't believe it. Um, so it was, and then I got everybody together to do the hell yeah. So they leave fired up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, it is, it's a lot of fun. But I'm, you don't have to, you know, it, I, I'm just like, phew. A walking disaster most of the time. I'm shooting from the hip. I'm still amazed that people want to even hear me speak. So well, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, I I truly believe, and we had a great conversation before we hit the record button. Um, and I, I I truly feel what I enjoy about it is the honesty, the the true candor. It's not fluff. It's not fake. It's real life experience. It's you know dropping f bombs. You know, it, it's stuff like that. It, it is the fire service. Um, but I appreciate the honesty. Some people have gone away from there pissed off. Some people have gone away from there. I never want to talk to her ever again. And maybe it's they, they need to look in the mirror. I don't know. I don't know the, the whole stories. But uh, I truly do um, love what you're doing. Uh, I see you getting offers and showing up in conferences around the country now, which is cool. Um, but I, I, I've enjoyed that class. And Ryan, you've sat in it. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah. A lot of people were very supportive about it. So if you get the opportunity, <clears throat> definitely take it. And, and it's, it's out there. <laughs> and, and from what you were telling us, you're getting a much bigger room at FDIC so we need to fill it up we need to fill it up and I think it will I don't even think we we need yeah, to I say that think I think it's just gonna happen it's gonna, it's I, gonna I don't happen. think I'll uh, I'll fill that room but it, it, it's a good it's a good thought but uh, there'll be plenty of spaces uh, do you have like sign boards that Ryan and I can wear say yeah. go to candy <laughs> class room right. whatever the arrows <laughs> the room. to the 500 but and I you know it's funny I and I, I I can actually see it when I'm up there speaking, when people realize that this wasn't a class they thought they were, they had an assumption of what it was going to be, and it's something totally different. And I can see that <laughs> click, like they're all looking at each other, going, what did we just walk into? It's like a, a different dementia, dimension. And uh, so that's really fun, too, to catch people off guard, which is typically what happens when I walk into a fire department, when I'm there to do the problem solving as well as the motivational uh, speech is uh, catching them completely off guard because they automatically have assumptions uh, when they hear the doctor, uh, Ashby. And when, when I come in and start speaking, I, I want them to know very quickly where I came from. And, uh, and they hear it. Yeah. And, they, and they know really quick. And, <laughs> and it's, it's just a lot of fun. It really is. Well, and there's a lot of repeat customers. I mean, yeah. you are. Yeah. I mean, I I always see you're going down Southern Indiana all the time. I mean, Scott For Chief Foreman down there just mm -hmm. really basically has taken a department and formed it into what it is now. Yes. And you're down there. 
you're down at Evansville. In addition to your class, you're also doing promotional processes, hiring mm-hmm. processes. So, um, and, and you're seeing these people bring you back over and over and over again. That's a testament right there. I mean, you got to be doing something. They're not going to spend money or invite you back. Yeah, if, I'm really excited and, and grateful again for the opportunity. But it's like, you know, <laughs> I go in and lay the groundwork for the original class. And then the next thing I get is, you know, we want a multi-year contract for officer development training. I'm like, holy cow, hold, <laughs> uh, hold on a second. This is much bigger than me. So right now um, I'm trying to build a, in the time that I have, which isn't very much, an instructor cadre underneath me to be able to tackle officer development training at these uh, departments throughout Indiana or the country for that matter but uh, you got to start somewhere so right now I'm crawling before I walk and I want to go in and help reset organizations and then then come back and try to grab a hold of the officers and and shake them a little bit and say uh-huh. hey this is this is what your job actually is hell yeah yeah and, and- I know in your class you talk about previous experiences and in the experience that you have had from early on up to now helps shape that class. That um, I mean, in the early, uh, so in mid '80s you were a cadet. Well, early '90s you were uh, appointed as a career firefighter. Early '90s as a career female firefighter was a different time than it is now it was and in the in the mid 80s and when i started at greenwood of course it was all volunteer back then and we did everything together we had a blast uh i actually met my husband uh that you know we got married there um so we did a lot of things together but when i went when i turned 21 and i went to the career side i stayed on greenwood i did both departments for quite a long time um it was a totally, it was a culture shock to me because I was just having such a blast. And when I got into the career department, it became about the money and about the paycheck and about the professionalism. And I, and I kind of cringed at that. I'm like, I felt like a professional as a volunteer. Why, mm-hmm. why do I have my paycheck tied to professionalism? Um, but and you know, then the union came into it. I'm union. I always have been. I've been raised in a union family. My dad was UAW. My brothers were Teamsters, and I'm I'm huge. Uh, uh, union uh, person, but at some point there's a there's a uh, oh a, a break even point because I'll go to smaller departments and they're like oh we want to make what you guys make we want the parity and and this and that and it's like I'm here and I, I actually hear you and I believe it you know and and understand but what do you think the other firefighters want <coughs> they want more and it will never be enough you know I, I pinch myself every day that I make the money that I make to work the days that I work and have the, the the fun that I have when I go to work. But I don't go to work and say, you know what, uh, you know, here, take 10000 of this back because I, I just feel like I'm making too much money. Yeah. Take 10 of my vacation days yeah. back. Yeah. You know, no, it's we constantly want more uh, to do less. And at some point there's going to be a break even to that. And I think it, it has led to some complacency in the fire service that these young guys have seen. <coughs> and uh, it's we've got to stop this out-of-control uh, locomotive basically and, and turn it around and uh, not only from that perspective of complacency but uh, the mindset issues of what people are are trained to believe in the fire service of um, you know if something goes wrong it's the fire chief's fault you know if the morale's low it's the fire chief's fault and we got to figure out how much control we actually have and how much power we bring into the fire service but you're we're trained to believe that we're not powerful we're at the bottom of the organization that you have to hold a top job to have any sense of power and that couldn't be further from the truth and I, I didn't know that 
Um, but yes, to, to answer your question, to come full, full circle, um, one of the um, icebreakers that I use when every single class that I teach when I'm live in front of people is I will at some point in the first couple of minutes I will stop and I will say I only look gay I'm not really gay <laughs> and then they all start laughing and that's a one way that I can test the audience to see how far I can go but secondly that was a huge uh, piece of my fire service career because I was a straight woman and the women that I had came on with were predominantly lesbian that the word came into play for me is any time that I got a class or I got an engineer spot or anything, it's because I was having sex with somebody oh, in administration. Yeah. It was, you know, and the lesbians didn't get accused of that because there was no women in the administration at that time. So that's where it became a real disadvantage. And then when I got pregnant with my daughter, you know, in true firehouse fashion, they had seven different guys pegged as oh, the father gosh. of my child, and not one of them was my husband. I had people calling my husband. Uh, at home to the point we had to have a police report phone line tap uh, saying that I had you know I was having sex out in the bay and in a hose bed in the hose tower and I'm like what does my sex life have to do with you <laughs> guys you know like draft there was a lot of uh, early years uh, you know I came on Perry in 1990 uh, I would say in the first five years at least I felt a very big disadvantage that I'd be better off if I had been gay in the fire service because I wouldn't have had to experience some of the things that I had to experience and fight through um, however it's all in the past now uh, I, I feel like that has helped shape me in the fire service all the adversity and things everybody has their own story they have their own experiences that they had to deal with some good some bad you know some are worse than others but it's what you do with those experiences at the end. And there's so many times in the fire service that I run into people that are bitter uh, for whatever reason. Mm. You know, what happened in the past administration or the past chief or they felt they were wrong done, they got written up, they got demoted. Well, you know, it's in the past. We all know you can't change that. So what are you going to do? You just got to get better and learn from that and move on you can't uh, you can't be bitter about it and there's so many people that are bitter over yeah. things that's happened in the past and it's bringing all of us down and I lived that for many years in Perry Township and uh, luckily I'm in a position now that I have a little bit of authority and I do set the tone and I realize the power that I bring and I don't uh, I don't go down those roads anymore or allow other people to go down those roads like no get that out of here and uh, so it's fun it's fun to be able to create that kind of change. Do you think uh, the experiences you had motivated you even more to be the best at this promotional process, to be the best at delivering the message, to be the, you know, better better than just average? No, early on, I think uh, it was just a reverse. Okay. That I really questioned myself a lot. I took a lot of education and training. Uh, when I first joined the fire service, I wanted every single state of Indiana certification and then some. And I remember setting a goal out uh, back when I was 18 years old that I want 100 certifications in the fire service. That was something that was unheard of. You know, I achieved that and then some. Um, but I was focused uh, so strongly on learning and being the best that I could be. But at the same time, I was getting black and blue. I was getting beat up. Uh, I was told for many years that I was street, uh, I was book smart, street stupid, uh, to the point that I actually started to believe it after a while. Uh, now, all 34 of my career years has been on the street. None of it's been in the administration. 
Um, so now, and, and, and all these years later, I get a chuckle because when I'm out speaking, I speak heavily from the street experience and uh, I don't really bring in so much of the books. So I, I actually want to flip off all those young guys, you know, yeah. from the beginning to say I was uh, book smart and street stupid. Now, that being said, obviously you introduced me as doctor, and yes, I did uh, go after the golden tassel and got as much college as stuff that I could, but I don't sit around pounding my chest that people in the fire service need college degrees. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of an anomaly uh, that happens because it's not about the the education that we have or how many degrees or how many certifications it's what we do with that that makes a difference and we need people to understand it's not about your resume and your cv and, and things like that it's like what are you doing with it and are you going and promoting this positive change and are we about other people so i don't know necessarily that i started out because of that i think it was reversed it took me many years to grow out of that and then to see that, man, I, I am somebody and I can make a difference and I don't have to be a fire chief to do it. Uh, so that's, that's really probably in the last, oh, I would say uh, since a merger, it, it's probably been my epiphany to, to understand the differences in cultures uh, from a small four station department to now a large 44 station department. Um, still have the same organizational issues uh, at every fire department, but it's how the guys take it. And in a smaller department, we just have a tendency to eat our own. And yes. it's a dog fight, and it's everybody's worried about everybody else's business and who's screwing who. Like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. it, it really is no skin off my back. You do you, boo. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And we'll still go out and have a good time, put the fire out, and, and uh, you know, and, and go home the next day. So, yeah. So it, it, that's a long kind of version of what it is. But uh, yeah, I'd say in the last. 15 years is really, I, I, when I was able to close the book on the first half of my career at Perry Township and reopen that book at Indianapolis, it was a huge turning point for me and uh, kind of helped shape where I'm at now. And then the reason that I go out and speak the message that I speak is coming from those uh, somewhat painful experiences and stuff, but I'm glad other people don't have to necessarily walk down those same roads. But what can we learn from that and what can, how can it make us better and i hope to think that you know being a battalion today is part of you know why the way i am because of the things that i lived through and that's why i won't allow you know there's two things i don't want to put up with in my battalion and one's being an asshole and the second one's drama yeah i, I don't need it I'm too old for that shit two of the main ones right there yeah right don't yeah. be an asshole yeah <laughs> exactly. God, it's so easy to get sucked up into the drama it is. It, it, it is. Yeah. And we're creating it. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that I teach in my class is, um, you know, and, I, and if anybody's taking it, I, I stand up in front of the room and I draw a pyramid for the organizational chart. And, and I put the people at the top and the people at the bottom. And I say, you know, the people at the top, the admin, don't know how to communicate with us on the bottom. And that, you know, that breakdown is, is most certainly communication. And I don't blame, you know, there's a lot of reasons that I give of why I think it's, it's ended up the way it is. The, the problem is there's two people that we blame for everything that's wrong in the fire service. The first one is the fire chiefs, and the second one's the millennials. If we just get rid of those two, we'd have a perfect fire department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, but it's getting people to understand that what they've been trained to believe is, is actually incorrect. And that's what they're training and other passing down to the future generation. And so much so that, you know, I, I ask in, in a standard response, I'll say, 
there's disgruntled people in every organization. There's always those few. Now, I think the majority of the fire service are good people. Mm -hmm. I really do. But there's always a few at the bottom that you could come in and hand them $100, and they're going to complain it's not 200 Yeah. Yeah. And then I ask the crowd, you know, what's that look like? What's the percentage of your department that's not going to be happy no matter what? The fire chief come in and give them a $25,000 pay raise tomorrow, and they're going to find a reason to bitch. And the standard response I get is between 5 and 10%. So just for the sake of it, I'll say 10% are the negative people, disgruntled, unhappy, for whatever reason, at the bottom of the organization. And if I'm in an organization of 45, obviously it's 4.5. But part of my message is, is that leaves 90%. So that 10% speaks the loudest. That's what the administration hears. Oh, you guys are not worth a damn. You're not, you know, you're not doing it right, doing this and that. But I need the 90% to take away the audience of the 10%. By getting up and walking away, you know, stop. Just stop spreading that shit from one shift to the other or worried about stuff and just start concentrating on what we can change yeah. and fix. And that's each other. That's ourselves. But when we get caught up in who didn't do this or who done this or who slept with who, it's uh -huh. like it just does nothing but just tear you apart, the complaining, the... The, the condemning, the, the the drama, the denial, it, it's just terrible. So yeah. if we get we get more a handle of that, we'll improve the fire service just with that in itself. And in the company officer level, that lieutenant captain, the senior man, senior woman, whatever, um, they make or break it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, that that's a critical level there. And we were discussing offline a little bit, but we as a fire service, we've had this discussion on other episodes, we're horrible about training Yes. for that. We, Oh, you did well in a process. Here's your badge. Whether your kids put it on you, your wife, significant other, or they just hand it to you. Uh, you report to XYZ shift, this firehouse, good luck. And then when you screw up, I'm going to get on your ass about it. Right. And you look at the strength of any organization and look at the strength of the officers, and you, that, that will absolutely uh, tell you how strong that organization is. Now, those officers may blame somebody. That's what we're trained to do. We're all trained to believe <laughs> and to blame somebody else for every single thing that goes wrong. And don't take any ownership or responsibility for it. But you're right. The company officers are not trained in what they need to be trained in. Um, and it's, it's so incredibly sad, but it's an industry issue. It's, you know, we have the fire officer series, nothing against the fire officer one through four. We even have it here in the state of Indiana. But it doesn't teach people how to be officers. It goes through so quickly of mm -hmm. uh, the topic areas, and you don't die, really take a deep dive in anything because you're trying to cover so much at such a little point of time that you get done, and, and I don't blame fire departments because it's the only thing they have to grab onto to say, here, go be a fire officer one, and then you could be a lieutenant or go be an instructor in FOST and, and, and take some of these state cert classes, and then we throw these people into the wolves and say, go figure it out. Well, some people do, and some people don't. And some people like me, I take 5, 10, 15, 20 years <laughs> to actually figure it out. And um, But we need more classes to be, and this is part of the, the thing that I teach is I say, and when I'm talking to the masses at the bottom, how many classes in effective communication have you set through in the fire service? Yeah. And I, it's silence. You know, how many classes in conflict management have you been to? Silent. How many classes in interpersonal relations, decision making, uh, you know, project team management? And, and that's a big one. 
uh, everything in the fire service that we're trained for the administration to have our input is committee. Everything has to be driven toward mm -hmm. committee. The thing is, we're not trained in how to serve on a committee. We There's no training to that. That's called project <laughs> team management. And we want to know why they end so badly. Uh, we're not trained how to run a meeting. Yeah. You know, and look how many unproductive employee gatherings <laughs> I've been a part of. You know, it's like, geez. And we want to know what's wrong with the fire service. It's that right there. We yeah. don't know how to manage people. We don't, you know, and then there's, a, there's another thing there. It's like, well, I don't want to be a manager. I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to man. Well, when we're in a supervisory position, it's called organizational management. Leadership is a part of that. Yeah. And that's argumentative depending on what road people want to go down. But we have to have managers that understand leadership. We have to have leaders that understand how to manage. You can't just go to work and say, I only want to be a leader. It doesn't work that way. Right. Uh, you have to understand how to manage when you run into people that don't want to be inspired, that don't want to do anything. And then how are you going to attend to that? You know, so we need to be out here educating our officers on management, on the decision making, on coaching, on counseling, on interpersonal relations. That's so much. Uh, and I could go on with a list, uh, but that's 90% of what our job is, and that's the biggest failure. And so one of the things that I asked the guys, okay, you guys were never trained on any of this. Where do you think the people at the top got the training? They didn't. Yeah. So what happens is we have a problem down on the bottom, which should have been solved at the bottom, but somebody doesn't understand their job, steps out of the way and kindly lets it rise to the top. The rest of us are bitching. Oh my gosh, the top's involved and they're micromanagers and things like that. They don't even know how to solve the problem. They're just getting involved because they have to. And it's it could have been solved and we're all adults, you know, and, and sometimes I think we've gotten away from being telling people the truth. So it's not uncommon for me to walk into a battalion and, and say, you know, hey, pull your head out of your ass and act like you got some sense, you know, and, and give people that. And oh, sorry, chief, you know, yeah. People well, don't like to hear honesty. Right. And it, we got it. We got to have more of it. Like, you know, it's common today. It's like, oh, we have to handle people with kid gloves. The hell we do. Right. You know, I'm not looking to get sued, but I don't have a problem going to stand in front of a judge saying I'm trying to make it better. And sometimes we need a swift kick in the ass to get our heads straight and because we get out of control. And it, most of it's the officers that don't understand the power that they actually hold. So one of the things that is common for me to say is a company officer is more powerful than the fire chief. Yes. And I absolutely 100% believe that. Um, all the way down to my core, they have the power to walk into a station and tell somebody to shut the hell up, and they don't do it. Mm -hmm. And why don't they? You know, it's usually the officers are the ones that are complaining um, and, and, and being bitter and, and uh, you know, just bitching and causing drama and we need people to hold each other accountable 100 percent. accountability is number one <laughs> sorry no, we don't have classes in accountability so no. how's anybody supposed to know how to hold anybody accountable? yeah absolutely right. don't come up with that team building accountability That's another class one. team building so it just shocks me but everything we do in the fire service we do as teams where's all the team classes yeah and how often do they go on to make sure we, we perform as a high-performing team? They don't. Well, and if you go and look for those or bring those people in, it's generally a business leadership person that comes in to do that. And we just had an executive leadership program for our staff and our company officers, and they did a real good job. And we actually had, I had Kevin on here talking about it. And they were like, well, we're so used to dealing with Fortune 500 companies that the fire service is a different animal. 
and they learn that and they're so they're adapting some of their teachings to what they learned teaching us but that shows you the people who are the experts as i air quote on leadership or team building don't understand us when they come from the outside mm-hmm. which because we're a whole different animal but that, and that's the difference in a Fortune 500 company and a fire service. The Fortune 500 company is there because they understand productivity through the people. Fire service don't understand that concept because we don't have the training to understand how do we have productivity through the people when we have a very rigid paramilitary, loosely termed, yes. uh, organizational structure where we're dependent upon the next level you know, of chain of command. And it's, it's like... it's. It, <laughs> I laugh because we are paramilitary. Because half the stuff people do in a fire service, they should be at Fort Leavenworth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they were really in the because why the, the military holds their people accountable, the fire service doesn't. Right. Um, but yeah, we we need more more people to understand how do we go out and how do we activate the masses? How do we motivate people? How do we do the training? How do we? Everybody wants those questions. You know, they have those uh, questions, but they don't understand the answers. And that's part of the reason that I go around and, and uh, do the class that I do to, to get people to get motivated and understand that the motivation has to come from within. Yeah, because how many times do you see over and over again that, you know, a grunt is not going to go into the post commander's office and complain. Mm-hmm. But how many times do we allow people to go directly to several layers above to a battalion chief or to the chief or to put complaints in yeah. and then and then we allow it yeah the open door policy and most fire chiefs have it i understand yeah. why they have it I, i'm not saying it's a bad thing but they have to understand how to manage it and they don't understand how to manage it and the only people through the open doors are the moles i'm yeah. sorry i said it yeah. it's the freaking moles trying to get a leg up yeah in front of the chief that's one running there and rat out their brothers and sisters and stuff instead of talking to their brothers and sisters like they should have. This is the problem I think we have with diversity uh, today. With everything's going, oh, we need diversity training, we need sensitivity training. Oh, hell, we do. I don't think we do. I think what we need is company officer training to have the officers put their foot up somebody's ass when they don't treat another person yep. with respect. No matter and that's race, gonna solve gender, it right anything. There. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, gay, straight, man, woman. It doesn't matter. Yep. Uh, we should be treating everybody with respect, and we should go back to Brunacini's words of be nice. Be nice. And the officers control that environment. They control that culture, but yet they're trained to believe that somebody else controls it, and it's not. It's them. Because as a company officer, you can easily say, well, I've not been trained in that. Right. Well, and but we have opportunities to go. We don't have to wait for the fire department to provide that training either. I mean, there's so many avenues. There's so many micro-conferences. There's so much. I mean, we got the largest firefighting conference in the country, almost the world, just up the street from us. And how few of our fellow firefighters attend that conference. With free passes. Yeah. With free passes. Yep. You have free training right in front of you every, what is it, April. Yeah. Every (laughs) April. Go to it. Yeah. And with yeah. social media, there's so many clips and different things yeah. you can follow to get, you know, advice or training or education. And, and just don't take advantage of it because it's easier just to blame everybody else. And the bitch. I've been guilty of it. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, look at training. And, and we've listened to people come before us. And like I said, they filled our heads full of shit. 
and to the point that it, it got us down and, and I'll go to places that and I've heard people say this well if they don't pay for it or they don't give me overtime I'm not going yeah I'm not gonna I, I like are you shitting me uh, right now I mean you're you're saying pick me I want to be a leader I want to be a supervisor and you're gonna get a pay raise incentive with that and you don't think you should take a portion of that money <laughs> and invest it in your own training and education uh, you know how why did you take the job to begin with because it's a growth and development of people but you can't grow and develop anybody if you don't grow and develop yourself first and I'll use my uh, my own story and that is uh, you know because I came in from a township merger that when I had an opportunity to bid a, an original IFD battalion I took the opportunity which is battalion one which is where I'm at now and I got into that battalion and I told the guys like I I've not seen everything I don't know everything I need your guys' help but the biggest part is there is a set of high-rises in my battalion. Do you know what I know about high-rise <laughs> fires? I don't know a damn thing about high-rise fires. Uh, you know, I have fought a high-rise fire. The high-rise fires that I've been on is food on a stove out on arrival and it's smoke evacuation. That's all it is. Yeah. Is that the old uh, the old towers at Greenwood? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had the that Greenwood Village towers. Yeah. and But even at IFD and then all the uh, high-rise training I've been to is... You know, you throw a, a section of deuce and a half lightweight hose over your air tank, go up to the floor yeah. below, hook it to the standpipe, go to the fire floor, put the fire out. Yeah. And there's got to be so much more to that. So uh, I've been on a, a kick since I've been Battalion 1 to learn as much as I can learn about high-rise uh, fires. And I still felt, man, I'm not even scratching the surface of the things that need to be known and, and <coughs> said and done. and. Then I've got to not only train myself, now I'm in charge of training the battalion, uh, but I'm not the one. I don't have any street cred when it comes to high-rises, so I'm willing to pay for anybody listening that's a high-rise expert <laughs> for a high-rise expert to stand beside me to pull off a high-rise training uh, so that my guys get the best of the best because that's what we need more of. We're already behind. Uh, you could train every day, eight hours a day, and you're still going to fall behind because every single industry affects the fire service in some way and uh, we got more guys worried about you know you know I do organizational problem-solving the guys that complain well we're tired of training behind a computer I, I completely understand yeah. and I completely agree with that right but we want to do live fire training we want to do hands-on good quality training I'm like okay I'm gonna go tell your fire chief this and then we hope that he listens and the fire chief say, hypothetically, he does listen, and he comes out, and he says, you know what? Every Wednesday, we want you guys to go to the tower and Which do live fire training. you a beautiful facility now. Yeah. 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 And then what are the guys going to do when they get handed what they want? They're going <laughs> to bitch because they have to go. Yeah, we got to drive Wednesday. to the we east side. The pro you know, and, and I get it, and, and that does happen, but a lot of our trainings have been a waste of time. And I'm not saying that any department specific. I'm just saying in general in the fire service. Sure. And that has tainted everybody. But I really believe, and I believe in on my heart of hearts today, that the guys won't mind it as long as it doesn't waste their time and they're learning something from it. They don't mind going to training. Who would mind that, you know, and that you actually get something from it and make you better in, yeah. your, in your position. But the thing is, we don't all know everything. You can't base everything off experiences alone. Uh, just because you're doing something for 25 or 30 years doesn't mean you're doing it right. Um, 
and you've got to constantly educate yourself. Like I took strategy and tactics back in 1990, <laughs> and I'm a battalion chief in 2023. Do you, do I need to go educate myself and bring myself up to date with the NIST and UL studies, or just stay back? Well, I've been doing this for you know all these years, right. and I don't need another uh, strategy and tactics class. No, you have to constantly and and, and it just absolutely just open your minds and your hearts to learning and and one of the things that I ask a lot of people when I'm in front of them is when's the last time you picked up a um, building construction book and read it not for a promotional process just because that's what's going to kill you yeah and all these construction changes that are out here you can't even keep up with them all smoke reading uh, you know things like that so yeah I've I've gotten on uh, you know I don't train my guys eight hours a day every day I, I certainly don't do that I don't you know, go pat, pound my chest, you know, 365 days a year. No. But the trainings that we do put on, I try to make them good quality, even if I have to bring in outside instructors uh, to do that, because I'm also trying to change a culture uh, to, to accept training and, and learning and things as, as doing that. And it's an uphill battle sometimes to, to be able to do it. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm one of the anomaly uh, rogue <laughs> battalions out here that says, hey, if people have something that my battalion can benefit from, contact me. I'll pay you out of my pocket to come in and, and train my guys. Well, I always talk about when I do my fire behavior trainings and the dollhouse burns, whatever, and there's some people have their opinions about it, but uh, you brought me up to your previous battalion, and that I, I did that, and I just remember, man, this, I'm from White River, and I'm coming up to IFD. How are these people going to re- receive this? And I was so shocked and pleased when I saw that the tenured guys, they're digging out their cameras, their their phones, mm-hmm. and they're like, and they're coming up to me afterwards. Goes, man, we've never had anybody explain that, and we got to visually see it because I always put the disclaimer: this isn't going to teach you how to extinguish fire or do a search or any of that stuff, but it shows manipulation of openings. And they they came up and shook my hand, and and then it's like, okay, well, you know, they they were the ones that were the most excited afterwards, and they were the guys that were like, why am I out here? It's cold out. It's, you know, it's forty degrees outside. But um, and then talking about building construction, I mean, you're talking about high rises. You know, I don't have experience with high rises either, but I can see guys being like, well, you know, they're type one, type two buildings. They generally don't go outside of their their area of origin unless the doors open and all that. But they're building heavy timber high-rises in Bloomington now. It's, it's, it's amazing, all the information. I didn't know you needed to know what the uh, ambient te- temperature was on the way to a high-rise fire because yeah. it's going to be different and how that smoke of, uh, stack effect happens inside the buildings. And it's, it's just a whole different animal. And I bless the people that are out here like Brent Brooks and, and Jerry Tracy and... and uh, Jimmy Davis of uh, Chicago, and uh, hell, I went down to Pensacola, Florida, and took HROC uh, down there at CF Tactics. And frankly, even these guys that are coming together and they're teaching people uh, <clears throat> on high rise uh, fires and trying to make us better and make us smarter. And that's, I, I just, I can't believe how much there is to learn with that, but I'm just uh, pleasantly. Um, going along and trying to keep learning what I'm learning but it's going to take me another 30 years to learn high-rise fires believe well, thank me. God you got the <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, no kidding it's, it's just amazing to know what we don't know yes. I mean it is just just when you think you're getting a grasp mm-hmm. on something you're like something new pops something up, new yep. pops up yep. a curveball gets thrown I mean we talk about um, the changes I mean 
even like the changes that we see, things we never thought we'd ever see, and you know, like active shooter. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole new element. I mean, mm -hmm. we're carrying ballistic vests and helmets and TECC kits, and and we're doing that mm -hmm. training, and that's just a completely different thought process. Um, but we have to adapt. If we don't grow, then we're we'll never change yeah, and get and, better. And not only adapt, we have to come together. Yes. And to be strong. And you know, recently you guys had Chief uh, Spalding on your podcast, and I listened to it and. And one of the things that he had said that resonated, well, it really did resonate that I just listened to, is he, when he was young, he wanted to be at the busy companies. He wanted to be at the busiest houses because he, that was just him. He wanted to be busy. Same thing with Steve Delman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, he was at 27s for all those years. And, I mean, these guys, it's just eat, breathe, sleep, fire service, and being busy. Well, I never had that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was at Station 1 at Perry Township, <laughs> you know? and that was the busiest station at the time, but it didn't compare to these busy firehouses in the city, and and I was, you know, I didn't have that, um, that experience, so now I have to derive that from the people that did have those experiences and things and, and say, you know, teach me, and even and now as a battalion chief, I tell my guys, teach me if I don't know, because I don't know. Uh, it, it's just like you're saying, don't know what you don't know, and, and we all have our own experiences and things. But that's what's really cool. When, and I used to, I could sit and listen to you know Steve Delman uh, oh, for man. hours and just listen to his stories, and, and just the the passion that came out of him. Same thing with uh, Chief Spalding. Uh, I remember sitting in Ivy Tech when he came in with the burns on him from the athletic club, and yeah. I don't know that he remembers me. I was just a young <laughs> young person back then. Um, but it was very impressionable, and it's like, man, how do I, how do I be like that? You know, um, same way down in Atrock, and there was a, a Captain uh, Morris uh, that oh, came yeah. in, and it, just a fascinating individual. But he's like, I want the best of the best uh, that FDNY had to offer when he rebuilt Rescue One, and I'm and I'm like, wow, well, we need more of that. Uh, you know, so I do believe, in, and I honestly want the best battalion that Indianapolis has to offer. Uh, you know, and I do believe I have it. I have seven stations of just absolute rock stars, and they get the job done. Uh, one of the biggest learning curves that, for me, and I, I, I tell everybody this and I'll listen. You know, I came from a department that was very backstabbing, one way, um, just it's just a, a literal shit show. But everybody just took care of their self, and I work at a department now. So when it came time to pick up hose. You just picked up your own hose. You're lucky if you got help from your uh, another uh, you know apparatus at your station. I work at an apartment now that when it comes time to pick up hose, there's 50 people standing yeah. behind that. Engine. That's how it is with us now. Yeah, and it's, it, and it's so cool. And but here's the other uh, the other part of it is I can tell a station, hey, are you guys, do you guys have all your stuff? Yeah, chief. Okay, well, you guys can go in service. Okay, thanks. And they'll walk over and they'll hit the in service button, and they'll grab their gloves and they come back. Yep. And they pick up the hose. They don't leave until all their brother until they That's help so out all their special. brothers. Yeah. And not because they're told to, it's because they want to. Yeah. And then I have to reflect back on that in my career and say, man, do you know how many times a chief told me we can leave and we couldn't get to that engine fast enough, especially yeah. when it's cold outside? And then we get in it and we're laughing as we leave the scene of all the hose that we didn't have to pick up because we got to get out of there. Yep. I mean, man, I'm embarrassed by that now. It's Blowing like, exhaust smoke on them as they're loading yeah, hose. It's, <laughs> it's just, like, yeah. man, we could have really done it right, but I wasn't trained right. 
um, from the get-go and, and and this is another thing that was kind of a, a epiphany for me lately is I just read recently I, I try to read a lot of books but I read Frank Lieb's book of the cornerstones of leadership mm. and and it's on just a, just absolutely phenomenal the way he had set it up and wrote it because it's all based on his experiences but the one thing that my takeaway from it is I believe and I'm no Frank Lieb don't get me wrong <laughs> but I believe the the thought processes are the same that we have both arrived at the same train station if you will yeah. right but how we got there was two totally different avenues where he says in the book hey I came into fire service and I was surrounded by all these mentors and that took me and showed me the way that it was supposed to go and and he's credit you know he, he gives credit to everybody mine was a complete opposite I joined the fire service and I was nothing around but a bunch of backstabbing freaking fools that you know that it was just terrible we ate our own we we just tore it I mean I had my own brothers calling my husband my own union brothers calling my husband at home saying I was having sex you know and they were just trying to destroy my marriage and it was like are you serious or worrying about who the father of my child was you know and it's like are you serious right now um, but yeah, and to, to, to live through that, but yet come out, I feel like very successful today that I lived through it and I'm not bitter, but it hasn't always been that way. I've, I've lived a lot of years of, you know, why should I give a shit? They don't give a shit. Why should I try? They don't try. I'll tell you, I don't get a, I don't feel that I get a lot of backing above me, but that doesn't give me the right not to back the officers under my command. It's, it has to start and stop somewhere. So at some point we have got to, to get better and rise up and start, you know, not only talking the talk of leadership, but actually walking that walk and taking care of the people that's around us. Well, you were talking about loading the hose and companies marking in service and staying and helping and reload. That's not a memo from the admin. No. That is the company officer level leadership yeah. right there. That's Now, if that was a memo from the admin, do you think they'd want to do that no no, no. but that that comes from leaders who truly understand what it's like to help that we all work at this together i mean that's right that's the power that they have come on guys you know when i was a young officer i did not have the balls to stand up against a 25 year senior guy and tell him get off the couch we're going to go out here and wash the engine yeah. I just went out and took care of it. I thought that's what leading by example. I just took care of my crew. And it wasn't until I was older that I figured out it was a disservice to my crew because I couldn't go up to senior people and, and tell them, hey, this is this is what's going to happen. Now I have no, no problem at all uh, <laughs> doing that. But, of course, I'm removed from the company level at this point. But, uh, but yeah, it's all in our approach. It's all in our mindset. Um, it's understanding that we're the problem because when we go in around the firehouse dinner table and throw each other under the bus and stab each other in the back, that's the stuff that has to stop. And we got to start lifting each other up and becoming each other's cheerleaders and, and understanding what this job is really about. And it's about things like this right here and being able to pass that knowledge on and, and create the peer-to-peer -peer mentoring that we crave so much. That's... <laughs> I love this discussion. <laughs> this, is, this is like, uh, I wish we could have this around the table more often. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll go on to some other things. And every every time we bring up a question, it leads on even better discussion. But um, I know that one of your probably favorite titles is Grandma. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I feel like you are going to do what you can do to make sure if any of your grandchildren ever want to follow footsteps of grandma and grandpa, that uh, you want to make sure that you leave it great for them and and lead a path so it's better for them so you don't have I, I don't even know how to say it we all want to leave it better than we got into it sure but you also have I have a son on the job mm -hmm. so I definitely want it better for him but I guarantee you want it better for them if they ever choose Oh yeah, absolutely. If if they do choose, I don't know. They're so young right now. I yes. don't know. They think it's cool. Yeah. Uh, and they call me G. They don't call me Grandma. They call me G. Cause <laughs> G. I, yeah. And so it's like, hey, G. Because I felt that was a little more hip oh, than uh, yeah, a little more hip than the Grandma uh, uh, yeah. uh, thing. But and it's funny because becoming a grandparent actually was uh, part of my. Um, wake up if you will as being a company officer and being an officer and then now being a chief is you know i i there's a lot of people out here that disagree with this but um and my daughter being she doesn't believe in spanking her children you know it, it just there, there's a lot of people today that they don't they would rather be a timeout or go stand in the corner or lick the wall or whatever you do <laughs> and i still believe in cracking them on the ass when they need it yep and um so i do and but you know you don't go around beating your Right. grandchildren and things of course uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I, yeah I got to keep this uh, <laughs> so anyway the the point being is that was my epiphany in the fire service I'm like oh my gosh you know this I, I see those seven firehouses of seven different children yeah. they all have their own makeup their own personalities things like that but also I see it as a mother slash grandmother role and that's what allows me to walk in and say, what what the hell did I just see? Knock that shit off, you know? And I do things, I, I really try to think outside the box from the tradition of fire service uh, uh, punishment, if you will. Uh, so I come up with some creative ways to get what I want when I run into people that uh, aren't necessarily motivated. It's like, okay, you, you don't have any motivation, that's fine. Let me motivate you. And I, and I play some games and, and do some different things that's gonna make them better in the end. But it all came from being a grandparent uh -huh. Is to say, yeah, I don't. Want, I want my grandkids to to uh, treat people with respect. And so, well, so do I want firemen to do it also. Yeah. And and you know, there's times they get out of control, and it's like they just need a slap upside the head. And say, hey, get back in this, and let's let's do this the right way. And and each child's gonna be a little different than the other child. Well, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. And uh, I mean, that's what one of my uh, uh, quotes or sayings that I really like is, "Be what they want you to be." Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, as a company officer, when the the crew looks up to you, then I got set a good example. But all those little kids out there, they're looking at us because we kids put us on such a high pedestal. If they really knew what <laughs> what we what, did every what, day in the fire, what we did, or what, what we talked about in the apparatus on our earphones, yeah, that, you know, we're showing <laughs> them the fire. Are idiots, <laughs> yeah, kid, it's not you. Your mom's hot, so we're gonna show the fire truck. I mean, they they would be like, you know, uh, not looking at us the same way, but you know, just just be that person that you want somebody to be. Uh, be oh, that yeah. mentor, be that leader. You know, help each other out. And, and we've talked about it, and it's huge. You don't have to have a rank to be a leader. I mean, you don't. That's exactly right. 
We got, you know, you got a firehouse full of them. I mean, yes. it, it doesn't take the rank. It's not a position specific. Uh, we want people in positions to understand what leadership is and lead us. But yeah, and they're, they're just we have the, all the senior guys. That's what they are. They're the informal leaders, and they're the more powerful of the two between formal and you know informal leadership. Informal's more powerful. Yeah. And why? Because they have the respect of the people, and they understand that. Um, it's like in any fire department in the country, we have people that have been hired that should have never got hired. Oh yeah. In this business, and we have people that got promoted that should have never got promoted. And I would love to walk into a firehouse and say, well, this is a complete shit show. <laughs> Let's throw all our badges in and start over, but we can't do that. So the only thing we can do is try to train them right and then hold them accountable for that and get people to understand when there's a level in that um, hierarchy that, that, doesn't under, that doesn't hold people accountable, then the whole house of cards fall. And then we get into, oh, we have low morale. We have, you know, I do problem solving. I didn't really talk about that, but I go around the country and, and try to solve, you know, the problems of the fire department. And people are like, oh, did you come and interview our department before I got here? <laughs> no, I sure didn't. I just need everybody to understand it's the same thing everywhere yeah. we go. So the number one problem is the lack of communications. Number two, lack of accountability. Number three, lack of direction. Uh, lack of good policies and procedures. Lack of good quality training. Lack of uh, officer development or leadership development training. And it's like, oh, well, that's the same thing here. Yeah, I know. And then how are we going to get together and be part of that solution to make it better? Uh, there will always be problems. You'll never work for the perfect organization because it doesn't exist. Because people are not perfect. Right. And that's all an organization is, is people. People. Yep, that's it. So... Uh, it's getting to you know getting a good understanding of how can I be part of this constant uh, improvement process of change, and uh, and we got to do it. But it's all too often I run into people. It's got 30, 35, 40, 45 years on a job, and when's the last time they even took a class? Mm-hmm. Or you know they 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 just haven't. It's like well I've been doing this for you. So <laughs> that the higher you go and the longer you're on, that should tell you to take even more education and training because you're over more people's lives. And she'd be out there and, and, and wanting to, to continue on. That, that communication component that you talked about, we see it, hear it over and over and over again from guests and sitting around the firehouse and all that, is the expectation. That seemed mm-hmm. like some, a lot of times the dysfunctional crews or the crews that, you know, or people complain is like they never got the expectation talk. And then they were expected to automatically know what the expectations were. Mm-hmm. And then people, they get a bad name for not doing this. And we just sometimes expect people to know what we need from them. And if you never have that expectation talk. So that expectation talk is so vital, so important. Oh, it is. Yeah. And I didn't know that. Nobody told me that when I first became promoted. Yeah. Or when I got captain. Nobody told me that. But as a battalion chief, I have uh, expectations. And I still these... From Mark Van Oppen, a fully involved, the first four, and then I came up with a fifth one. But it's do your job, treat people right, have an all-in attitude, give all that effort, and have yep. fun. And a hundred percent of the issues is a failure of one of those five expectations. And, and it's, it's usually have fun. I feel like. Oh anymore. yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody exactly. wants to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, well, you know, it's like you know when the lottery gets up there to a billion dollars, and it's very common for a firehouse to come together and everybody throw in five, ten bucks to go out and buy fifty, sixty, seventy tickets. And then sign them, take pictures of them, whatever, and, and dream of what's going to happen when we hit that lottery. <laughs> and what's a common uh, feedback people say, you'll never see me again. 
You, you, you won't even know that I existed. And for me, and my guys know that I'm crazy enough that if I hit the lottery tomorrow, the next I will day. still be at work the next <laughs> day. And matter of fact, if you take my paycheck away, I will still be there the next day. I did this once for free. I'll do it again for free because yeah. that's how much I love it. And it's not, it's not money-driven for me. Yes, I'm paid to go out and teach, but it's not about the money as it is about the mission. And that's why the nonprofit group versus a woman-owned business. I truly could not imagine doing it. You've heard me say it. I could not imagine doing anything else. I've done other either. things, you know, and I hated it. <laughs> I mean, I fucking hated it. Yeah. And this, I worked so hard to get to, you know, to be in that spot and... <laughs> I, I don't want people to tell me when to go to lunch. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's your 15-minute break. Yeah. <laughs> F you. I'm taking a three-hour nap. <laughs> I, I, I 100% believe, too, if I hit the lottery, I'd still be at work the next day. I would. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Would. It'd be a lot it's easier. It's not about the money. <laughs> it would be a lot easier, for sure. Yeah. I'd just drive my own truck to work. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Um, one, one thing that I find, and you know, I was in the admin role for a while, but even as an officer role and stuff, some people take somebody asking a question as questioning. And it's frustrating times where you're like, and, and I know it comes down to that that person may over and over and over and over <coughs> be asked other questions that is questioning, but sometimes, um, I don't even know how to say this. How, how do you how do you deal with the person that comes in with a legitimate question when all you have heard up to that point is people questioning what you're doing? I don't even know if that makes any sense. I think you have to put it in perspective for what it is. Uh, you know, and, and unfortunately. Yeah, I went through some trials and tribulations early on in my career, but I still deal with an uphill battle for whatever reason. Uh, and I and I do say it's because I'm a woman from a township with a doctor degree. And people can argue with me all they want, but there are people that are intimidated by what I do and for whatever reason or what I have. And it's like, well, I'm not an intimidating person. If you, if you know me, there's nothing to be intimidated by. Nobody's scared of me, you know. Uh, but then they get intimidated and they want to create issues. And that's where the questioning comes yeah. from. And I deal with it. I'll, I'll probably deal with it for the rest of my career. I hate it that I have to. But anything I do is under a microscope, which is basically what you're saying. If you're in administration and people are questioning you, but somebody actually comes in with a legitimate question, well, you've you got to know the difference in that and be able to, uh, you know, with grace, keep explaining it till you're blue in the face. And it gets daunting, you know, and it gets tiring, and, and people get tired of it. They're like, screw this, you know. But there's a reason I don't want to be in the administration. Uh, I did early on think at one point that I did. Um, then I was given the opportunity, and, and I had to pause and think, geez, do I want to go in there? Um, and I've watched people go in administrations, and I think most of which go in there with a, 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 you know, to put a positive spin on creating positive change, right? Put their thumbprint on it. And then they get there and they find out this isn't a Monday through Friday 8 to 5 job. It doesn't end at 8 hours a day. It's 10, 12, 14, 16 hour days. It's not 5 days a week. It's 6, 7, 8 days a week. And then they don't get done what they thought they could get done because they get in there and there's just few of them doing the job of 10 people. 
And in the bureau, you know, you got the bureaucratic red tape they have to get through. You can't just run down the street and buy something. Right. You have to go through all these there's political Indiana hoops. Indiana code. There's <laughs> yeah, and and then there, what I call the trilogy that they face, which is the public when we act like assholes on the scene, or you know, the politicians when we need something, they have to go smooch them to get us the things that we need. But then it's that ten percent that's sitting at the bottom and speaking the loudest, and all they're doing is telling them every single thing they're doing wrong. It's not the 90, it's the 10%. And, that's a, and then they tend to blanket all of us as a bunch of chronic crybabies mm-hmm. and complainers. And that makes me mad. I understand it, why they do that. It, it, it's very irritating. Um, where I was going with this, I don't remember. But, uh, <laughs> but that, I mean, we need to see for what it is. I mean, the, these people are up there. There's two or three of them at the top running a multi-million dollar organization. Oh, that was about being in the administration. So why would I want to go into an administration and bust my ass every single day to make it better for an organization that's going to do nothing but sit back and tell me what a piece of shit Mm -hmm. I am? Yep. And everything that I do wrong. And I'm like, do you think I want to be? I mean, I bless the people that's in administration. We (laughs) we have to have somebody go in there and do it. But they actually have to have a shield up to shield them from all of the negative stuff that gravitates from up. And I, I just hate it. And, and that's the stuff that when I started doing the organizational problem solving, I was like, wait a minute, we all know on the street what's wrong with the fire chief, but none of us tell the fire chief. So then I created this whole organizational problem solving thing and say, you know what, I'll go tell the fire chief. You guys tell me where your problems are at. You tell me what the solutions are to those problems and I'll go be your voice and sit down and, and I do, and I do that, um, I think, pretty effectively. And I've never told a fire chief something I didn't already know. But then after the piece of paper, and I could take it to the side, I can tell a fire chief, I can tell you where the perception of your people are on you in the three days I've spent with your organization. Do you want to hear it? And they're like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. Like, do I need to sugarcoat it? And they're like, oh, no, we want the truth. And 100% of the time they get butt hurt by what I tell them. But it's not the point of whether or not they agree. So for an example, one of the big ones is, well, our guy is a micromanager. And they'll say, hey, your people believe you're a micromanager. And then I immediately get the defensive mechanisms that go up. No, I'm not. I, you know, I've done this and this and this. And I'm not a micromanager. And it's like, it, you, it doesn't matter if you agree or disagree. This is the perception of your people. And so the only way you can fix that is not by talking it. you got to walk it. And now that you know that, now you know what you got to go out and work on. You need to work on delegation. Well, geez, there's the opposite of micromanagement. Where's the delegation classes at? We don't have any. Mm-hmm. People don't understand how to delegate. Um, so it, it is. There's a lot to be learned, a lot to be said, a lot of, you know, I just hate organizations say, well, our morale's in the tank. Uh, you know, we do it. it's unproductive. We don't have, we have low performance. And it's everybody feeding off everybody else, bringing the entire organization down, even though the majority of that organization resides at the bottom. And they're sitting back and blaming the top. Well, and I tell people, it doesn't matter what you think of your I hope you like your fire chief. I really do. Uh, but if you don't, what are you doing to make a difference? What are you doing to change it right now? Because every single day you come into work, you're mentoring the future. The future officers, the future firefighters, you know, the ch- chiefs that are going to be there. If you don't like the way it's being done, then start training the ones around you the right way to do it. And that's where I feel my job is now. When you think about it, on a department the size of Indianapolis, I was like, oh my gosh, you've got a big battalion of seven stations and 60 people. Look at all of IFD. It's 1,300 strong and 44 stations. Yeah. I've only got a small little fraction. <clears throat> 
of that, but that's my fraction. And the officers under my command, all I can do is say that I'm here to do everything I can to let you live your best life now and, and you know, to, to work for them. And their job is to work for their people, and their people's job is to serve the customer on the street. And I try to live by that every day. And I'm not perfect. I've got, you know, my own hurdles that I have to overcome. Me too. And thanks just like anybody else. But it's, when do we start getting this right and saying, no, don't act like an asshole. Don't create drama. Get out here. And, and, and I'll let the officers, you know, do things and run their stations, even if I'm in disagreement with it. Uh, because that's the only way they're going to learn. And I just say, make sure your people know this came from you. And this is how you believe, so it gives them a chance to understand. If they don't agree with it, then they can obviously bet out. Um, so, I think it's funny how some of the biggest complainers on on the lower levels, from firefighter up to company officer, they won't do the next step. They won't test for the next step up because that's one less level that they can bitch about. Mm -hmm. And it's like they won't ever do that next thing. I think it's it's. Well, they don't want to try and make it better. Yes. I, uh, yeah. It's easier to sit back and bitch yeah. and complain than to try look, to make Look it at better. how many people bitch when they have to make a run at Millonite. Yeah. <laughs> what did we sign up to do? Yeah. You know, I want to make as many runs as possible. I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah. I want to have fun. My hair's on fire. Let's go. You know, like, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. How far are we in, Ryan? Well, we're only an hour eight. Hour eight? Yeah. Well, it feels like I've been here all day. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had a great discussion beforehand. <laughs> before, I mean, that was like 35 minutes before. Like yeah. I said, I wish we could have recorded that. <laughs> yeah, well, no, we didn't not. 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 Um, What? I wrote things down as we've been talking, but the love for the invest. I, don't know, I assume it's love, the investigation world. How did that come about? Because part of your company does... Investigations. Well, I do key fire yeah, investigations. Key fire. Yeah, we do fire investigations. And then under Elite, we teach a lot of the investigative classes in the state of Indiana. <laughs> we, we really love being able to give back <laughs> and, and training people. But I started out, I took investigations back in probably 91, 92, and I thought it was fascinating. Or still masters then, wasn't uh, it? Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was the old master category. Uh, all those were masters yeah. back then. And um, I wanted to learn more about it. But back then, I, you know, I got to, an opportunity to be a digger uh, for a private guy. I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my gosh, there's a whole private sector to this. I didn't have to just wait for fires to happen in Greenwood or Perry Township uh, to go investigate them. I had a much bigger area. Uh, but I couldn't find anybody to hire me because I was a woman. And I didn't have the 25, 30 years of experience yeah. at that time. So I was like, screw it, I'll just go start my own business. I took some uh, you know, degrees and I was like, I'll just start my own. And that's how Key Fire was born. Uh, Key's my maiden name. So yeah. that's, uh, that's where my, my Key Fire came from. And, and it started out uh, and just had a blast ever since of going out and doing it. I thought, you know, I had this vision of, man, it'd be cool to have your own office and your own uh, logo on your golf shirt and go in and pick up a, a case folder and and uh, go out and do a, a fire investigation and come back and and it is and I and I teach it now because I think that um, well I think it should be required for everybody I really do and not I'm not saying that because I teach it I think it makes you a better firefighter to take the forensic aspect of it and there's a portion of the fire behavior that I do in yeah. that class and the scientific method and then uh, to be a good investigator makes you a better firefighter mm -hmm. so I think they go hand in hand I, I really do but 
it comes back to, at the end of the day, the customer service. So firemen aren't trained. I, I believe it, no matter if it's an officer, no matter if it's a fire chief, no matter if it's a firefighter, I believe a lot of the issues that we have is a fundamental training issue. I don't think it's bad people in positions. I don't think they know any better. We don't train our firefighters to go in. I, I don't know what the hell's happened in the last 20 years. Used to be you would uh, make a hole, an inspection hole, and if you saw the stud or you saw the joist and it's clean, there's no fire up there, you stopped. Yeah. And now today it's like we have to take down every stitch of drywall <laughs> and ceiling and all of this. And one of the things when I go around and I teach fire investigations and I tell the guys, I'm like, you guys know without any forensic training basically what the most burned up room is, the area of origin. And if you really think that that fire got through that non-combustible drywall, <laughs> Go around to the other side of the room and tear it out all day long. Yeah. Just don't do it in the room of origin. So we try to make strides that way. Now, a lot of people that take our class, they they tell us at the end that they're going to overhaul differently. So that in itself yeah. is when it... it, it uh, it becomes fun teaching it and trying to teach scene preservation training because it comes full circle to um, what started the fire. Well, we don't know if they're throwing everything outside, and then we can't prevent fires from happening if we don't know how they started. Now, I've gone in and knowing that we had to really overhaul, and the mm -hmm. investigator was a little bit out and bring my cell phone in and snap a few photos so I could show them before we started disturbing everything, and uh, they. It definitely helps out in the investigation. Then we could just play the uh, the backdraft moment where <laughs> it was oh, yeah. before or after you were standing in a puddle of gasoline. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's just like it's over time. It's over time. We have convinced ourselves to, and I've even <coughs> seen chiefs. Uh, you know, we have to overhaul, overhaul, overhaul in the name of a rekindle. Yeah. Because they don't want to rekindle attached to, they don't, and I really believe most of the rekindles happen because we overhaul too much. We take away I, I really the, do. the protection. We take away the protection, but we're also covering up the smoldering fires by the non-combustible yeah. drywall. And then we go back five or six hours later on a rekindle. And they act wide open. Right. And we had copious <laughs> amounts of water that we could have just, you know, laid it out. So when I teach the investigator class, some of my favorite scenes are intact scenes, and they flashed over. And no drywalls missing. It's a damnedest thing. And the firemen are all sitting there, all puzzled. You know, like we've never seen anything like it. So part of the training is scene preservation, uh -huh. and, and being able to do that and getting people to not uh, overhaul because it's like I'll ask everybody in the class if, heaven forbid, if you had a fire, uh, how many of you would want to know how it started? And every single hand goes up in the room. I said, well, John Q. Public wants to know that too, unless yeah. they started it and they're trying to cover it up. They want to know. So that they never have it repeat again. Yeah. But by the time we get done going in there and creating havoc and have these macho ego attitudes of it, what's it matter? They got insurance, you know, screw it. We're gonna I wanna look like the hardest working person, so I'm gonna be covered with the insulation and the drywall and come out like I'm you know. Yeah. And it's like all we're doing is just creating havoc in there. And I I'd be mad yeah. if uh, if I had a room of contents fire and somebody came through and yanked every ceiling down in my house, uh, there's just no sense in it. Well, the, working with 1-800-BOARD-UP, we've had the fortunate, unfortunate going to people's fires, but working with the investigators mm -hmm. uh, and seeing and having the conversations with the, the fire marshal and stuff saying, hey, you know, as a firefighter, how did we screw this up, you know, and what can be done better? And that's, you know, so that's been a big 
benefit me sitting there for hours with the fire investigator waiting for them to turn the building over to us and just having those conversations or hey is there anything you can do to secure this point of origin you know stay out of this area and all that now on the flip side we've had some people working on board up that don't have fire experience and they just <laughs> tromp through the whole areas where we told them not to go because they don't understand but i think i i do think we need a, a better emphasis on that scene preservation we component. do because you know we're, we're our own worst enemy when it comes to that um we could let you know we could go in and wreak havoc and then an arsonist walk away with it because there wasn't enough evidence to put them away and the next time they create uh, or uh, do a fire because they got away with the first one then it could kill one of us right. or another family yeah. member and how incredibly sad that is but on the other side because we also create havoc then we have fire investigators that are shooting from the hip that are going in and falsely accusing these people of arson when it wasn't um, and putting people away. The most notable uh, case in uh, fire investigations is Todd Willingham, where here was an innocent man that was accused of killing his three children and setting a fire. And there was a lot of experts that went in and said it, it did not happen that way, but he was executed uh, by lethal injection. Mm. And so he lost his life, and he was an innocent man. So that's uh, you know I show that when I teach the, the classes that I teach and to say, You've got to understand the gravity of weight that you guys carry as fire investigators, and you can't shoot from the hip. You re it really is a science, and it's an art of how to apply that science yeah. and to do it correctly. But um, I, I do want to say this, because most firefighters that take our classes don't understand the private world, and it is one of those avenues in the fire service that you can get into. And if your goal in life is to get 20 and move to Florida with your spouse, Take fire investigations because you can do a national cert and go investigate fires in any of the 50 states. And it is just a blast. And you can make a lot of money doing it. They're, yeah. they're, it's like any other industry right now. They're starving for fire investigators out there for hire. Huh. So it's fun. It is there a lot go, of fun. Go, yeah, I need another job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So we always ask... Um, but what are some leadership traits that you I know we've talked about some through this episode but leadership traits that you that you feel are vital that a leader or officer needs to have well I don't teach you know even though I got a doctorate in leadership I don't teach the traditional forms of leadership um, things so kind of how the to put it in perspective of how I do it is I tell the classes that I'm in to give me the traits of a good person. If I tell you that this person is a really good dude, a really good dude at, there's there's common traits that's, that's comes that rises up. And I put it on a board and say, what does that look like? So I want you to think of somebody, whether it's your parents or grandparents or somebody at church or neighbor. Tell me what that looks like. And they do. There's integrity. There's honesty. There's hardworking. There's selfless. All these traits go up there. And then I tell them, I, it's, you know, there's nothing, I, I can't, you know, I, well, let me say this. I ask him, does it make you just want to be better to be in the presence of a good person? And 100% of the people will say yes. And I say, I'm not going to give you a definition of leadership, but I can show you what a leader is. And it's nothing more than being the best person that you can be every single day. Those traits that go into being a good person, I believe, are the same traits it takes for leadership. We can talk the integrity and the character and the things the that go values. down the road. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's you don't want anything more than your boss 
to exhibit those same traits as a good person. If you're a boss, you don't want anything more than a subordinate to have those same traits of a good person. If you're a backstepper, you don't want anything more than the other backstepper to have those same traits. And if we could just get people to understand it at the fundamental level, that it's not a destination that you're going to arrive at. I used to believe that. I believe if I took enough classes in leadership and management that one day I would arrive and be a leader. And it wasn't until I grew up and I understood the, the traits of a good person and, and that it's a daily grind. Every single day for the rest of your life, you're going to be grinding out to be the best person that you can be. And that's what makes you a leader. Uh, look at Steve Dillman. Huh. Uh, look at Spalding. Look at some of the greats that are out here. You know, uh, Colin Powell. I mean, just anybody that you want to think of and see how they conducted themselves, how they carried themselves, the, the words that came out of their mouth, how they viewed other people. They're just genuinely good people. Yeah. And that in itself is the, what, the, what I feel is leading by example is. So when I teach leadership, that's how I teach it, is being the best person you can be and, and how to show up better. But at the same time, I'll, uh, I'll flip it and I'll say, let's talk about the fire department asshole. You know, what do those traits look like? Oh, well, they're, you know, they're in denial, they're blaming, they're condemning, they're negative, they're, you know, all these things. And it's really, truly the opposite of a good person. But the truth of it is, is that all of us walk a fine line between both of those, between being a good person and being the asshole. And you just have to catch yourself when you're going down that route, uh, road of being an asshole and get your ass back above that line. And being a better person and, and saying, no, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I can do better than this. And that's how I try to tell people to show up better today than yesterday, because it's not dependent upon the position. It's dependent upon being the best person you can be. So leadership wise, that's the road that I go down. And then all the other classes I teach is in management, yeah. <laughs> of, of, you know, decision making and team building and communications, because all that is management based of how you're going to do that. So. That, if that answers your question, that's uh, it's anything you can think of as a trait of a good person, that's a trait of a leader. So that's Love it. Uh, that was a great answer. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's um, and no one has just like regurgitated their core values at their fire department. Yeah. And you can have core values. We have core values at our fire department, and you know I take them dearly. But everybody has their, their own. own personal core values, and a lot of it could be from. Um, the way you're raised or looking at shitty leaders. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've had I, plenty of them. <laughs> I talk, yeah, I mean, I talk about it, oh, geez, almost every episode where, you know, I had a guy at a fire department that he wanted to promote so he didn't have to do chores anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's not why you promote. That, that is just that, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, and I see, like, you know, it's customary where I'm at that the chiefs don't cook. But I have a cook day because I'm in a single-engine house. When even when I was a double company, I tried to chime in when I could and help out. Um, you know, why not? It's just, the many hands make light work, mm -hmm. and and it's just like a damn shame that people think that uh, you know you don't have to do anything because you've, you've hit a certain rank or position or something like that. That's when it becomes even more critical. Now that being said, I can't usually do most of what I want to do because people won't let me. Yeah. <laughs> so. I want to. I like washing dishes, but See, I can't I get in the dishpan. I, <laughs> I can rarely get in the dishpan. So I was like, "Great, I'll go mop a floor because I hate mop a yeah. floors." You know, um, I was like, "Hey, women are supposed to be in the dishpan, right?" That's why I was raised. <laughs> Make and, me a pot. Uh, and the fact that I go by and I watch somebody else do the dishes, and it looks like they're literally doing them in a garbage disposal. They don't. <laughs> they don't make a fresh, clean, hot, soapy water, and they're putting 
food inside of yeah. that. And I'm like, just get out of the way yeah, and let me just do this right. Yeah. All right, yeah, chief, yeah, if you exist. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you don't combine with like a pH strip, like at a restaurant. No, no, no. <laughs> Hated that. No. You got it? Ryan, you got any questions? What for? restaurant did you work at where that happened? Uh, oh, actually, the, uh, when I was 18 years old, I washed dishes in a restaurant in my hometown, and the the one of the owners I didn't like very well, but he would come by and he would pH strip <laughs> and temperature check the water because oh it was a health department requirement. And I have a question. Yes. What's a Chief Ashby cook night? What, like, what's what's your favorite meal to make? Um, well, that's a two-parter because one of the favorite things that I like to do is I buy steaks for my firehouses uh, once a year. So we'll go to a firehouse and say, hey, you know, what are you doing next day? We'll bring steaks and you guys get the fixings and, and we come together and break bread together. So I really enjoy that, even though I was made fun of, uh, and I still am, by certain individuals. They make fun of me. Uh, they say, like, oh, you like to cuddle your people or you're warm and fuzzy and it's like that. If the people respect you, they right. can't get enough FaceTime. If they don't respect you, they care less if you ever walk in their firehouse. Yep. So there, I think, is the difference. Now that, I really enjoy having steak dinners with the firefighters. Um, but as far as me cooking, uh, a lot of, uh, like tomorrow's our cook day. So myself and my XO, we're going to cook. And uh, and I, it's probably because it's cool out, we're going to have you know a pot of ham and beans. But a lot oh, of yeah. the... Uh, type of cooking I do is all the southern comfort foods that are the highest fat content yeah. like yes. the chicken and dumplings yeah. um, you know cube chicken steak and, and mashed potatoes and green beans oh, and ham the and stick beans to your ribs oh. uh, yeah ham and beans and cornbread corn will probably be on the schedule oh. for tomorrow Country for dinner steak sounds good tomorrow. and then uh, yeah. you know and we either depending on what uh, we're going to do for dinner we may have uh, you know the soup and grilled cheese for lunch with some chips and yeah. some fruit or we may do a breakfast or a brunch there you go and, you know being oh, on the weekend and things Brunch so is my favorite is this what we're in the mood to do and how much we're going to spend on dinner and how yep. much money we have left over to do but uh but yeah I, you know we share uh on our responsibilities and uh, she makes uh these no-bake peanut butter cookies mm. because in the commissary we have everything to make no-bake yes. peanut butter yep. cookies so usually she's she's perfected that and that's oh. our dessert that we have if we're not doing the dump cake, the cherry uh, pineapple dump cake uh, that was one of the firehouse favorites with, with ice cream. So, uh, okay. yeah. Everything we're not supposed to eat is usually how I cook. So That's I've, Chief's night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've introduced um, the crews to uh, deep-fried Uncrustables. Oh, yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, I let them not. thaw in the refrigerator, and then you dip them in cinnamon sugar and then deep-fry them. I've not had one of them. I have not had experience oh with one of them. I probably put, shouldn't. Then you put ice cream on top. <laughs> it's so good. So good. And, yeah. and I'll tell, you know, when I teach fire one and twos or new people or people aspiring to come into the fire service, I always talk about bring good, two good recipes. Perfect <laughs> two recipes and then add on it and learn to be a sous chef. <laughs> And I was because you get to somebody's stomach and make them feel good. Yeah, they don't want to get rid of you. <laughs> right. That's, a, that, that's what when I think you know when I teach, I'm like feed them and let them out early. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then I've got a winner right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. And leave right. them alone. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
steak. That's awesome. That sounds so good right now. Oh, it does you sound go for good. Steak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had a couple of guys get promoted uh, recently, and uh, one of them invited us to the firehouse last day for his final supper, the last supper, and we got steak dinner oh. out of it. But it was a reverse uh, yeah. effect. So, uh, yeah, that was really nice. Yeah, tomorrow, yeah, I've got to go to the store yet and, and gather everything up because in my battalion, there really isn't a grocery store that close <laughs> yeah. that we want to go to. No, yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> we want to go uh, necessarily so get. But, uh, yeah, so we try to bring our, our food, our groceries with us. And, it's probably us. And safe. I mean, smarter. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're doing that. It's that problem solving. The My two oldest boys, they, they're um, congratulating the youngest one, and they're bringing steaks over. On Sunday, we're nice. gonna grill steaks and mashed potatoes. I'm doing baked asparagus. I yeah. see it on Facebook. I was like, "Where's the invite?" But tell you one, could we just go cross lines and, yeah. and come down so we can come eat? Come on down. Yeah. Yeah. Especially on B shift day, it's like we got to get together. We got to do Blah. some training. Yes, yeah, we got to do <laughs> some right. training together. B shift. We, yeah, because you know, I'm sure you saw the post. I'm pretty proud of my youngest. He got that Franklin College. Top tier scholarship. Yeah, that's something that's to be proud of. One hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars. That's awesome. So that's that's that pretty cool. Awesome. He's, he's he's worked his butt off for that. And yeah, he's he's a smart kid. Uh, he's gonna. I just ask him. I just need a one-bedroom apartment behind his mansion. Yeah, there that's you all go. I need. There you go. What's so, his major gonna be in? Uh, he's going to do um, uh, graphic imaging. With business and marketing. Oh, very nice. Yeah, very that's nice. what. And he'll he always is. have a job. Yes. Uh, in that, he, that field, it's a he, growing field. His goal is to uh, be on a reality, like a produce and a reality show, like the Survivor oh, type nice. thing. He, he's he does algorithms, spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. Like when Survivor first starts, or Big Brother, he almost is a hundred percent accurate on who's going to win. From the first night with this algorithm, he does. Damn! Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he Show loves us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I, I love watching his enthusiasm. And the cool thing about it is, we sit down, and uh, the wife and I will sit down and watch those shows with them. So I, he enjoys that too. But we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Proud daddy, I can tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So are we ready to yeah. do the. Yeah. Episode question. Yeah. So, uh, do the every uh, do the Dale's a Dick question. <laughs> every episode, I ask uh, the guests the same question. This question is sponsored by One Eight Hundred Board Up, and um, if you could sit around a firehouse table or sit on a park bench with anybody that has passed before us, who would it be? Gallup Brunacini, Bobby Holton. Look at that. It was quick. Absolutely. Yes. Brannigan. What great, great yeah. answers. Yeah. I think those uh, those guys earmarked it. They just, man, they paved the way for us. And and I couldn't get enough of Brunacini when I was young and just listening to him. It was just so authentic and what came out of it. It was so much of his common sense. Yes. It really wasn't anything earth shattering. It was just common sense, like his customer service. Oh. Uh, you know, uh, for the fire service. And it's, it's like, man, what? You know, Bobby Holton. I just, yep. just fascinating, just listening to him speak, and I could sit like Steve Dillman, sit and listen yeah. to those guys forever, and and glean something new every single time I heard him. So Alan Brunacini is one of those 
guys, he did a lot of traveling and ran a huge department. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Phoenix Fire Department was not small by any means. And things got done when he was away because he delegated, he didn't micromanage, he set expectations, and surrounded himself with people that wanted to do the right thing. And, you know, his, wow, you said it earlier, just be kind. Yeah. Being Mr. and Mrs. Smith is having their worst day, whether it's a lift assist or their house just burned. Just be kind, and you know we need to do the right thing for them. For sure. Yeah, for absolutely. I, you know, when I was young and dumb, I used to yell at people on a scene that they would get too close, like get <clears> back, you know, screaming at them. Even on PIs with entrapment, you kind of see that today. And I just go up, put my arm around somebody if their house is on fire, and I just tell them, I'm so incredibly sorry. We're going to do everything we yeah. can. Yeah. You know, you might want to turn around. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. But, you know, and I try to show that not only empathy, but that sympathetic side. And, and PIs with entrapment, you know, we just had one the other night, and I asked the guys, they had their phones up, and I was like, guys, I, I don't mind what you guys are doing, but can you just take, you know, a step back behind these cars? Because I would feel really bad if something yeah. happened and you guys got hurt for it. And they're like, yeah. oh, okay, there's no use in us having to yell and scream at people and, and being the asshole of, you know, and it's even if somebody's apartment's on fire, you know, you got to understand it from their perspective. Most of them are just walking around and, oh, you know, yeah. they don't know what they're doing anyway, but just treat them with kindness. And, yeah. uh, and there's some people, they don't, they don't, you know, they're yelling and screaming at you, but still, be kind. You know, you don't have to yell and scream it's not back. that hard. Yeah, it's not that deep, bud. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah. and they don't understand what we're doing, why we right. busted that window, why we're cutting the hole in the roof. They don't understand that stuff. So, yeah. And their, uh, their possessions are burning up. Yeah. So I really feel that the whole Bernicini Be Kind movement, uh, we need to not let that go and keep that going and, uh, and give... Uh, you know, credit where credit's due, and he he paved a, a big, big chunk in this fire service, and I think it's it's going to be years to come. Same way with Bobby Halton. Yeah, it's uh, you know I wouldn't be doing the class I am now if it wasn't him giving me an opportunity to speak at FDIC, and and that's after having denial after denial. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went there, I'm like. Dude, can you tell me what I need to do? Uh, you know, he's like, you called the right guy, you know, and and do this, and I'll give you a shot at it. And uh, and it's like, man, I wouldn't want anything more than just to make the guy proud of. Uh, and, and listening to him speak, it was always very moving. Yes. And then I, I I try to, you know, I don't go to copy him, but I want to emulate yeah. that that authenticity and that genuineness, and tell people, you know, you gotta you gotta do this job. You gotta you're gonna get out what you put into this job, but it is a daily grind. You gotta get in here and you gotta bust your ass every day. We ain't got time to sit back and be complacent and complain on what we don't have. We need to be grateful for what we do have, yeah. and uh, pick each other up and and go. I love it. I, I love was, it. I love it. I love it was like she knew. She knew this question was coming. Um, so we do a quote every every uh, episode, and this is the flame decon quote of the show. So this is from Robert Greenleaf. The first and most important choice a leader makes is the choice to serve without which one's capacity to lead is severely limited. And I think that's very fitting uh, for this. And a lot of times, I don't choose these until we start the episode. I may have a few in queue, but uh, what I see and what I feel is you are a servant leader. You take care of your people. I mean, we were talking about off off microphone about the 
the battalion uh, Christmas party you do. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, how much you appreciate you. It's not just this, go to a restaurant and reserve a room. It's right. more than that, but that's that's important too. But how much you really appreciate what your crews do uh, year in year out, and your leaders and your firefighters and all that. So that's uh, that one just spoke to me when I knew you were going to be here, and then uh, I said, "Oh, this is it, servant well, leadership." Wow. You know, and I I really uh, really appreciate that. You know, Robert Greenleaf was the founder behind servant leadership, even though it's biblical based. You know, from Jesus. And things, but uh, yeah, to be you know even saw in that in that light, uh, to be put in that light is just a, an honor in itself. And I hope the fact that I finally get it that my job is to uh, make others around me better and to better myself and and to do that through serving, but also at the same time understand that uh, you can't be a servant leader in the middle of a fire ground either. Yeah. So you have to understand where to start and where to stop certain. Uh, uh, leadership, but yeah, and some people have tried to take that to the fire ground. They get walked on, and <laughs> that's what leads to uh, freelancing and things like that because they know they're not being taken that seriously. And people just do what they want to do. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, so but then you got others. They got you know uh, the people that that go in and and defy all the odds to save other people's lives. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, so you can you can take it from both perspectives uh, of seeing that. But I I appreciate it very much. That that's a that's a pretty high honor. Well, I appreciate our uh, friendship over the years. Um, I, and again, it's not one that we're calling each other once a week or texting once a week. It may be once every six months, but I know that if I have a question, I do have somebody because it's all about networking. That's that's one of my struggles with the e-learning component of what we're doing with some of our certification classes because when I took first and second class firefighter, I still talk to those people. I mm -hmm. still network with those. Each class you take, you network with a completely different bunch of people and it's nice to have that Rolodex. Okay, we don't do Rolodexes anymore, but you know, <laughs> that Rolodex, that, are you? <laughs> that, the contact list in your phone of people you can reach out to. And, and like I say, we, we don't talk all the time, but I feel like I can reach out to you anytime I need. And uh, and that's that's important to me. So I appreciate you coming on. No, oh, and I appreciate the opportunity. I think for uh, you and I, it's uh, we're in a race to see how one, one of us can stay the longest. <laughs> and we're going to be here another 30 years, and it's just, we're going to sit down, and it's going to be like... <laughs> well, the, the funny thing is, her, she was 16 when she started. I was 16 and 86. Right. 86. Mm -hmm. she, I was one. <laughs> she got on career before me, but... Uh, um, I will. Uh, hopefully, I can carry the torch. I don't. I don't know. You may have the torch longer than me. I don't know. Well, we'll no, see how this I, goes. I think that. Uh, I think you know. We may be doing this episode as a nursing home uh, yeah. series. Yeah. Uh, you know, the diaper podcast. Uh, <laughs> the diaper podcast. But we're, uh, yeah, we're. Remember we're when still Fire doing Chief Gant was just a <laughs> <laughs> annoying oh, God, little. That'll never happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chief, where can people get a hold of you at? Uh, well, because uh, they called 911. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I'm, I have a Facebook page for those that uh, have Facebook. It's under Candace Key Ashby. I have an elite uh, public safety <clears throat> Facebook page. For those that don't have Facebook, my email is um, cashby at elitepublicsafety.com. Um, and then my, uh, I guess they can text me or call me on my cell phone at 317-902-FIRE. Uh, 
All right. So, uh, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, yeah, if you want, wow. uh, you know, we'll put all that uh, in the link <laughs> in the bio. Can, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm an open book to, to anybody that wants to reach out. I think there are more of us that get together, the stronger that we are. Absolutely. So I, I definitely that's... think we, it, you know, it's, it, being able, it, a lot of people, you know, that talk to me is like, oh my gosh, you talk like a regular person. I am a regular yeah. person, <laughs> you know. And uh, we can't be above anybody. We gotta, we gotta be down there on the, on the bottom in the trenches and, and get to know everybody. And that's what you know, uh, Steve Dillman. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, couldn't think of a better person to try to emulate to somebody like that and and to be like that. So when I have bad days in the fire service, you know what Steve do? Something like this. Yeah. I mean, he just loved it yeah. so much and loved the people. I, I so. miss um, whenever we got a new person, we would drive up and sit on his back patio or. In a sunroom, and yeah. just we'd hear the sto- same story over and over again, but we loved it. But you know what? What was the neatest thing to see is everybody showing up for him. Yeah. yeah. You know, in the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. And we need more of that. I can't think of a better way to honor that man than the people that showed up for him all the way up to the end. Yeah. And I just, and then they still show up for Frosty. Yeah. You know, and it's just awesome because it's a family. Yeah. And that's what we need more of. We need more brotherhood. We need no, more uh, camaraderie. We need less of the backstabbing, uh, you know, can't talk to one another, Mickey Mouse bullshit. Yeah. Uh, we need. <laughs> I mean, I've got his IFD retired firefighter sweatshirt that he wore all the time. Oh, yeah. There and yeah. A jacket that what we a, bought. What him a and, cool dude. I mean, yeah. there's just a lot of neat people out yeah. here in the world, and that's what we need to be more like and remind us of that's the people we need to be emulating. You know, and I can't think of a better servant leader than Steve Dillman. Yeah, he went to everybody's retirement party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, there wasn't one that he was missing, even when he was in a wheelchair or walking. Yeah. I mean, there. he was FDIC, there. He was there too. He was yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And yep. that's why we need to be present for each other. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we're trying to do here is just build people up. Yeah, build people mm-hmm. up. Build potentially leaders. I mean, I don't know. Even if we influence one person, we yeah. we hope that's. That person influences another person, and it just moves on. And um, we don't want to bash people. We don't want to bash administrations on this. There's so there's certain people that'll never get invited to this this <laughs> podcast, but we just want to lift up our future leaders and current leaders, yep. and because uh, we're all gonna, we want the stories there. We're we're not gonna be here forever. And, yeah, uh, it, it it shocks me that people want to hear an old woman in menopause. You know, and, and that's what I told my battalion. I bet you never thought you're gonna have a woman chief. I never thought you're gonna have one at menopause. <laughs> and, uh, and here we are. So no, I appreciate the opportunity. This is great, and the the work that you guys are doing, and the and the stories, and the people that you're bringing on here is gonna do so much, spread so much positivity. Pos- yeah, having to say that positivity <laughs> in the fire service and do that, uh, you know, constant improvement because this is what we need. Yeah. Guys can listen to a podcast while working out or going yeah. out and yeah. walking or doing, you know, fixing meals. You know, listening to a podcast and and we need it. it well, it's so. cool. That means a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, it does mean a lot, and it's really cool when I hear people say, "Oh, we list, we just pulled up your podcast on the." The TV and we all listen to it as a crew or something. I was like, well, you want to listen to us? <laughs> I don't even want to listen to myself. Shut but, up, right. Dale. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, again, uh, we appreciate it. We appreciate everybody who listens to this. Uh, but in wrapping up, I'm going to again keep it up, keep training, keep learning, keep inspiring and aspiring, keep mentoring, and let's keep this train going.
Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Kitchen Table Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion on firefighting, the importance of training, and the incredible bond of brotherhood that unites firefighters. If you'd like to stay connected with us and access more insightful conversations, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to spread the word and remember, stay safe out there because together we're stronger. Until next time, take care, stay tuned for more inspiring stories from the front lines of firefighting.